I'm your host, Anna Danino, and welcome to the Halloween bonus episode of the Crime Bistro Podcast. This show gazes into the thrillingly twisted world of true crime, examining real cases while we share in a passion for crime and coffee alike. For this episode, I'm enjoying a hot black coffee, so grab yourself a fresh brew and let's get into the horrors and mystery surrounding the Amityville Murder House. The infamous Amityville murders took place during the early hours of November 13, 1974, when six members of the DeFeo family were slain in their beds with a 35 caliber rifle. The victims were parents Louise and Ronald DeFeo Sr., 18-year-old daughter Dawn, 13-year-old daughter Allison, 12-year-old son Mark, and 9-year-old son John Matthew. The family's oldest child, Ronald DeFeo Jr., confessed to carrying out the horrifying crimes. These murders are regarded as the catalyst for the spirits who haunt 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, but some have argued that the DeFeo family were victims of the house and that an evil presence already resided there. Over the years, the Amityville Horror House has been the subject of over 20 movies, as well as a number of different books and documentaries, and the story is one of the most famous and horrific crimes in modern American history. So first, I'm just going to dive in on some background of the history of the home. The Ocean Avenue property had once been farmland, belonging to the Irelands, one of Amityville's most influential families, according to the Amityville Historical Society. On January 14th of 1924, Annie Ireland sold the home to John and Catherine Moynihan, and the following year, Amityville builder Jesse Purdy built the five-bedroom, three-bathroom Dutch colonial home that stands to this day. When John and Catherine passed away, their daughter Eileen Fitzgerald moved in with her family, staying until October 17th of 1960, when John and Mary Riley bought the house. The Rileys divorced, selling the home to the DeFeo family on June 28, 1965, when the family made the move from Brooklyn to Amityville, residing in the home for the next nine years. Now to cover the history of the DeFeo family. Ronald DeFeo and Louise Brigante married after a brief courtship, though Louise's parents did disapprove of the couple, cutting all ties with them until their first son, Ronald, was born on September 26, 1951. Ronald Jr.'s childhood was monetarily comfortable, but far from content. His father has been described as a domineering and abusive man, and his mother seemingly faded into the shadows behind her husband's overbearing personality. Because Ronald was the firstborn and a boy, his father expected a lot from him and was not afraid to discipline him in a violent fashion. Ronald also suffered in school. He was overweight until he began to abuse amphetamines in his later teenage years, and he was heavily bullied by his peers for this, with nicknames like The Blob following him throughout his early school years. Ronald's childhood followed him into his young adult years. As mentioned, he began to rely on drugs and alcohol to cope with his experiences in the home. He was also known to lash out physically and even threatened his father once with a gun. His parents began to give him weekly stipends and gifts that they hoped would quell this behavior, and by the age of 18, he was working for the family-owned auto dealership, though he rarely showed up for his shifts. Ronald was not an only child for long. His sister Dawn was born on July 29th of 1956. His sister Allison Louise was born on August 16th of 1961, and his younger brother Mark Gregory was born on September 4th of 1962. After the birth of Mark, Louise decided to leave her husband for reasons that are unknown. So to get his wife back, Ronald Sr. co-wrote a song called The Real Thing, 
that was recorded by jazz great Joe Williams in 1963 for his album One is a Lonesome Number. This did work, but it is important to note the pattern of instability among the family. Despite this rough patch in their marriage, John Matthew, their third son, was born on October 24th of 1965, and his other siblings have not described suffering the same kind of abuse that Ronald suffered. Now to get to the day of the murders, which was November 13th of 1974. On that day, Ronald decided to leave his shift at the dealership out of boredom to go meet some friends at a bar. He called home multiple times, but no one answered, and he complained about this to the people that he was with. Eventually, he left the bar to go home, and that was the last anyone saw of him before the news of the murders broke. According to the book American Mass Murderers, DeFeo re-entered the same bar around 6.30pm, yelling, You've got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. Some of the customers followed him back to the family's home, and they became witness to the horrifying scene within the house. DeFeo's friend Joe Yeswit called the Suffolk County Police, who searched the home, uncovering the full extent of the scene. All six bodies were found in their beds, and they had all been positioned on their stomachs. They appeared to have been shot with a high-powered rifle, and it was determined that the crimes occurred at around 3.15 a.m. The parents had died first, both having been shot two times, while the four children in the home had each been shot once, and physical evidence from the scene suggested that the mother, Louise, and sister, Allison, had both been awake at the time that they died. However, there were several things that didn't quite add up with the scene that the police discovered. There were no signs of a struggle present on the bodies, and there was no evidence that they had been drugged. This would make it incredibly difficult for someone to commit the murders in separate rooms without somebody awakening to the shots and trying to escape the home. Additionally, not one of the neighbors who were awake at the time reported hearing any gunshots, and the only noise disturbance that night was the DeFeo family dog. Ronald's alibi was that he had been at work during the murders, coming home that night to find the horrific scene. Once he came under investigation, this alibi quickly crumbled as police determined that the family had been dead before 6am, which is when Ronald would have reported to the dealership for the day. DeFeo responded by frantically changing his story, which he would do several more times throughout the investigation and even afterwards. At one point, he even claimed that a mob hitman named Louis Fellini had killed his family and that he had made DeFeo watch. DeFeo was taken into police custody for his own protection after making this claim. However, Fellini had a solid out-of-state alibi, and only the day after this, DeFeo made his confession with no shock to police. DeFeo admitted that he had taken a bath and changed his clothing to hide any blood evidence, and that he had discarded evidence such as his bloodstained clothes, as well as the Marlin rifle and cartridges that he had used in the murders. He said he then went to work as usual. DeFeo has shown a significant pattern of lying and changing his story several times since his initial interview with police, so I want to quickly touch on that pattern and its potential roots in his childhood abuse by his father. Research has demonstrated that an individual is more likely to become a pathological liar in adulthood if that person grew up in a dysfunctional family, suffered abuse as a child, or lived in constant fear during childhood, which are all things which DeFeo absolutely would have experienced in his home and school environments. There is also research that people with pathological lying tendencies have on average 23 to 36% more white matter in the orbital frontal, middle, and inferior frontal gyri of their brain, which suggests that some people have a predisposition to those behaviors, However, this is unconfirmed for Ronald DeFeo. 
Know that I am not diagnosing Ronald as a pathological liar, but he certainly demonstrates some of those characteristic behaviors, and he experienced many of the risk factors for them. DeFeo stood trial starting on October 14th of 1975. He was represented by attorney William Weber, who employed an insanity defense plea stating that DeFeo heard voices that told him to carry out the murders. It was this claim that many who believe the Amityville house is haunted returned to as evidence. This was also corroborated by the intense drug use DeFeo had subjected himself to throughout his life, and the plea was supported by psychiatrist Dr. Daniel Schwartz. The prosecution agreed that the drug user was indeed troubled, but that he knew what he was doing when he committed the Amityville murders. The psychiatrist for the prosecution, Dr. Harold Zolan, maintained that though DeFeo was an abuser of heroin and LSD, and also suffered from antisocial personality disorder, he was still aware of his actions at the time of the crime. A jury convicted DeVeo on six counts of second-degree murder on November 21, 1975, and the judge, Justice Thomas Stark, sentenced him to six concurrent life sentences of 25 years to life, saying the crimes were heinous and abhorrent. In a later version of DeFeo's ever-changing story, in 1986, he alleged that his sister Dawn killed their father, and then that his mother killed his other siblings because she was so distraught. In this story, DeFeo killed his mother to stop her alleged rampage. He claimed that he had taken the blame because he was afraid to say anything negative about his mother to her father, Michael Brigante Sr., and his father's uncle, Peter DeFeo. Another telling of the story by DeFeo came in 1990, where he recounted that Don had shot all of the family members before he killed Don by accident while trying to wrestle the gun away from her. This version was accompanied with his 440 motion, a proceeding to have his conviction vacated, which was unsuccessful. His final retelling was during a meeting with Rick Asuna, author of The Night the DeFeos Died, on November 30, 2000, and went as follows. DeFeo claimed that, along with his sister Dawn, him and a friend committed the murders. He said that on November 12, 1974, the DeFeo's father had been on one of his tirades during which he abused his family, and that Dawn, with a couple friends, went down to the home's basement, where Dawn approached Ronald about killing their parents, which he eventually gave in to. While one friend waited as a lookout, Ronald and Dawn headed for their parents' bedroom, Ronald armed with the rifle. Apparently, the original plan was for the younger children to be taken to their grandparents' home in Brooklyn, but Dawn decided to kill them as well to eliminate them as potential witnesses. Then, Dawn entered the room where Mark and John slept, and it has become clear that the two were awake at the time that they were killed because of this following detail. Mark had suffered an injury playing football that forced him to sleep on his back, but he was found shot face down in his bed. After this, he claims that Dawn entered Allison's room and killed her instantly with one shot to the head. And once Ronald found out that the children had been killed, he confronted Dawn in her bedroom, slamming her against the bed, which knocked her out. He then placed the rifle to the back of her head and killed her with a single shot. There is a point of interest with this story, considering that a former NYC supervising police detective, Herman Race, was hired by Michael Brigante Sr., Luis's father, to look into the question of multiple gunmen. Race uncovered evidence that showed that there were multiple gunmen, and this was actually corroborated by the prosecutor and medical examiner during a private court hearing and at trial. These findings do create some dimension to the case, however, with the number of different stories that DeFeo wove over the years, 
He is absolutely not credible, so I find it unfair to Don to not approach this version with scrutiny, considering the fact that if this story is just yet another one of Ronald's lies, it takes away from the horrors that she suffered that night by placing anecdotal blame. Ronald's own implication in the crime is very clear, so he certainly received the justice he was well-deserving of. With all of that being said, the question still remains, is the Amityville house really haunted? The next owners of the Amityville home were George and Kathy Lutz and their two sons, who bought the home for a drastically reduced price of $80,000 about 13 months after the murders occurred, and lived there for only 28 days. It is their stories from the home that propelled the legend of Amityville horror as we know it today. George Lutz was known to have a history of dabbling with the occult, which is interesting to note, but he was said to have woken at 3.15 a.m. each morning in the home, which was about the time of day that the murders occurred. The family claims that they smelled strange odors such as the smell of bile and cheap perfume, saw green slime oozing from the walls, and that they experienced multiple cold spots in areas throughout the home. On one occasion, in the sewing room, hundreds of flies appeared, even though it was the dead of winter. Allegedly, when a priest came to bless the home, he heard a voice scream, Get out! He then told the Lutzes not to sleep in that room of the house, which had been Mark and John's bedroom. This is interesting in terms of the murders, considering that DeFeo did claim he heard voices urging him to kill his family, though it is unreliable considering how many times his story has changed. Other things Salutz's experience included a garage door opening and closing on its own, an invisible spirit knocking a knife down in the kitchen, a pig-like creature with red eyes staring down at George and his son Daniel from a window, Kathy levitating off of their bed in the middle of the night, as well as the sons Daniel and Christopher levitating off of their beds. Kathy said that she was victimized by unseen touches, sometimes causing her to pass out. There was also property damage to the home. The front door was ripped off of its hinges, windows were smashed, and banisters were torn from their fittings. Even the family dog, Harry, was affected. Usually he was a hyper-animal, but he came increasingly lethargic the more time they spent in the house. And the priest who had blessed the home allegedly refused to return to it. So the family, holding a crucifix and reciting the Lord's Prayer, attempted to bless the home themselves. Apparently, they were met with a chorus of voices asking them, quote, Will you stop? End quote. The couple have come under heavy scrutiny for their stories and have taken a lie detector test regarding this, which they did pass, but it is well known that lie detector tests are unreliable sources. Their son Christopher insists that he had paranormal experiences in the house describing the presence of a shadow figure in the shape of a man who dissipated into thin air. Their son Daniel also claimed that his time in the home ruined his life, and he continues to have nightmares about their experiences. Apparently, the couple approached DeFeo's attorney, William Weber, telling him that they were going to write a book about their experiences in the house, saying, quote, We created this horror story over many bottles of wine. It is a hoax. End quote. Weber brought a lawsuit against the couple for taking the story of the haunting to another publishing partner, demanding that he share the profits of the book, believing he was entitled to $60 million. The matter was eventually settled out of court for $2,500, plus $15,000 for his services with the book and the subsequent movie, and the book, titled The Amityville Horror, was released in 1977. 
According to officials, Ronald DeFeo Jr. died on March 12th of 2021 at the age of 69 while serving his sentence at Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York. The cause of death has not been revealed due to health privacy laws. And today, the Amityville House still stands and was sold in February 2017 to an undisclosed party for $605,000. It has changed ownership four times since the murders, and one of those owners had the address changed from 112 Ocean Avenue to 108 Ocean Avenue. This case has been made famous by the many movies, books, and documentaries that have since been produced about the horrific events and the possibility of a haunting in the Amityville murder house. People questioned whether an evil presence in the house itself guided Ronald DeFeo to slay his family on that night, or whether he was simply a twisted and heavily disturbed individual who relied on an insanity defense, which is so often misused within the justice system. The subsequent stories from owners of supernatural experiences in the home has gripped the media, and it is a fascinating story to examine, though it is hard to tell how truthful those stories really are. George and Kathy Lutz are heavily criticized for being liars, and they are the only owners to report any paranormal activity. However, it is certainly interesting to think that their sons vehemently stand behind the truth of their experiences. While the DeFeo murders have been solved, the possibility of an accomplice still looms, and whether or not the famous colonial is haunted will continue to be questioned likely long past the home itself is no longer standing. Thank you for listening to this Halloween bonus episode of the Crime Bistro podcast. This is a case that I've been excited to look into for a while, and it left me with more questions than I was expecting. I'm personally split on the idea of a second gunman on the night of the Amityville murders, and while I'm leaning towards George and Kathy Lutz fabricating their experiences, it is still fascinating to explore the possibility of a haunting that plagues the famous murder house. That being said, if you're interested in learning more about the case, All of the sources that I used are listed in the show notes at crimebistro.com, and be sure to visit the podcast on Instagram at crimebistropodcast for some behind-the-scenes looks and additional content. Once again, thank you for listening, and as always, until next time!